Pastor Ed Taylor reminds us we need to come together as a church for fellowship and encouragement. You never want to lose that come-togetherness of the church. Well, I don't need that. I'm just going to do my own thing up in the mountains, just me and the Lord. There might be a time where you need to go up into the mountains, just you and the Lord. That doesn't exclude you from the come-togetherness of the church. Well, you know what? I'm a little tired, a little upset. I'm going to skip church this week. Well, maybe that's the decision you make under the Lord. It doesn't excuse you from that come-togetherness. This is amazing grace. From Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora, this is Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We're about to open 1 Corinthians 11. If your church is like ours, you gather for communion every so often. But why do we do that? Well, Pastor Ed is about to show us the essence of communion is coming together and sharing the life of Jesus together. But the church at Corinth had lost sight of this, and some problems were occurring surrounding communion. Let's see what we can learn from this. Well, eating together was very, very important in Jewish culture. They placed a great emphasis upon it, so much so that when you see the life of Jesus, you see him eating a lot with his disciples. You see him sharing in a meal, because in the mind of the Jew, when you would share a meal together, you were sharing life together. And even many cultures today still place an emphasis on eating together, and you'll find that there is an emphasis on families eating together because that's the place of communication, that's the place of sharing the day's information together, that's the place of having that give and take with one another. There are many times where you see Jesus enjoying a meal. He, he invited himself to Zacchaeus' house, remember? He was there, and he, Zacchaeus is up in the tree, and he says, you get down here, I'm coming to your house to eat. They're like, ah. How wonderful. Jesus multiplied the fish and bread to feed thousands, not once, but twice. After his resurrection, Jesus, he shares a meal with his disciples. He even puts it together and cooks it for them. And in Revelation chapter 3, you can jot it down, there is that promise of the marriage feast of the Lamb. Jesus, Jewish culture, the early church placed a great emphasis on sharing a meal together, sharing life. You take a loaf of bread and take a piece off of it. You pass that loaf, they take a piece off of it. You pass that loaf so that everyone around the table has a piece. And as you partake of that piece that you have, you're sharing the same loaf together, coming together and receiving and giving. And that's the essence of communion. The picture of communion is sharing life together, first sharing the life of Jesus together, next sharing life with one another. Communion shows us and reminds us that there's a bond of fellowship in the church. Our relationship with Jesus is not only personal, it's interpersonal. It's not only independent, it's interdependent. 
There is that relationship that you and I have with the Lord personally, but there's also that relationship that you and I have with one another in the body. Family bonds and culture, race, financial status, education, language, they all come together in Jesus. Think of that list again. Family bonds, financial status, our cultural upbringing, our race, our education level, the language that we speak, they all tend to be divisive, don't they? We see each other different by the language that we speak or we don't speak. We see each other different by our financial status. We see each other different by our race, our education level. All of those disappear in Jesus. When we share in communion together, it's a great picture of our unity in the body, our unity in him. Our unity, not in a cause, our unity, not in a religion, our unity, not in a movement or any of the things that we might try to rally behind. It's our unity in a person, Jesus. Communion is set there before us to remind us of our unity. When we're here tonight, we think of Jesus as, and it's, it would be okay to say this, it would be okay to think this, it would be okay to even express this, Jesus is my Lord. That's true. If you were to say that as a believer, Jesus is my Savior, my Lord, my friend, my pastor, that would be accurate, but not exclusive. While we can say Jesus is my Lord, my Savior, we can also say Jesus is our Lord and our Savior. Not just my, but also our. You'll recall when Jesus instructed the disciples, he said, in this manner pray. What did he say? Our Father. Communion reminds us of the ourness of unity in the body. When you think about it, most relationships aren't like that. I'll give you an example. I can say that Marie is my wife exclusively. We can't say Marie is our wife. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> There is no unity in that statement. There's an exclusivity in that relationship. Not so with the Lord. We can both say my Lord and our Lord because with God, Jesus at the cross, his sacrifice, whoever believes in him. The reality of life is that we're sinners. We've committed sin and we're guilty before God. The only way outside of the penalty of sin is to believe in Jesus Christ, to turn your life from your sinful, sinful past, sinful habits, the sinfulness of life. The Bible says we've all sinned. We, we say Jesus is our savior. Why? Because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We need a savior. We need to be rescued from sin. By faith in Jesus and repentance from sin, his final finished sacrifice, nothing more to be done, no matter where you've come from, no matter what your upbringing. I received an email yesterday or today I looked at it today and answered it today where a brother was sharing with me some of the things that he's struggling with in his life, some of the things he was thinking about. And he asked the question, does Jesus still love me? I love those kind of emails, but that's a great question. And my answer, of course, is emphatically yes. Those barriers, those things, the things that trouble you, the things that cause you to question, the things that you wonder about, Jesus took care of them on the cross completely, wholeheartedly. Communion is a reminder of that. 
when we partake of the elements, a reminder of the unity that we have in him. In the early church, they would often combine communion with uh, what we would call, what they call an agape feast. We might refer to it as a potluck. Some churches go, we don't believe in luck. We have pot blessings. Great, that's fine. Bring your food, all right? Call it what you want, but bring your good food. And they would come together sharing their food together, potluck, pot blessing, agape feast, and have communion in the midst of it before, after, sometime during that gathering. And much like the potlucks we have today, it was a meal to share with one another. You'd bring your favorite dish, you'd bring your specialty, and take great joy as you'd watch other people enjoy your meal, you'd enjoy their meal. There was a tremendous time of sharing life, both over food and fellowship. In the midst of that, in the church, the early church, they would sprinkle in times of communion. That's the culture and the context of the rest of this chapter. Paul's addressing not only their time of communion, but gathering together also for this agape feast. Mike, like many things in the church in Corinth, what was intended to be sweet and loving and excellent and joyful, a wonderful blessing among the believers, was tainted and messed up in that church. It was supposed to be a great time to come together and share your life and share your meal, and instead it became a horrible, horrible mess that didn't reflect the love of Jesus. That's where we pick up with all that in mind, verse 17. Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you. He goes back and forth, doesn't he? I praise you on this, I can't praise you on this. There are times when great encouragement needs to be given and great correction needs to be given. This is a big correction. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. In giving these instructions, I don't praise you since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. First thing I want you to notice is the phrase come together. That's the essence of this section. Come together, you'll find there in verse 17. You'll find it again in verse 18. You'll find it again in verse 20. If you jump down, you'll find it again in verse 33 and again in 34. Coming together was important. From all over the city, very much like here at Calvary, all over the metro area, there are times set aside for us as a church corporately to come together from all over. Some of you walk here, some of you ride your bikes here, some of you ride your motorcycles here, some of you jump in your cars and come here, some of you take public transit. All over the city, a diversity of people would come in Corinth, also here, to come together. You never want to lose that come-togetherness of the church. Well, I don't need that. I'm just going to do my own thing up in the mountains, just me and the Lord. There might be a time where you need to go up into the mountains, just you and the Lord. That doesn't exclude you from the come-togetherness of the church. Well, you know what? I'm a little tired, a little upset. I'm going to skip church this week. Well, maybe that's the decision you make under the Lord. It doesn't excuse you from that come-togetherness. There is that time where you might decide, I think I'll, it, I don't want to drive over there. I got too much going on. I think I'll catch it on the internet. 
catch it on the internet, but it doesn't exclude you from the come togetherness, the human touch when possible. Whether we come together here or there are those times when we also come together there, the smaller groups and the homes and the places. Some, sometimes we'll go out and visit those that are homebound. And we'll take the come togetherness to them for that human touch. As the church is coming together, they're coming together from all over the city for fellowship and encouragement. The problem was is that they came together, notice, for the worse. We can't just skip that because that's pretty sad. Can you imagine a gathering right now where among us there are people gathering that have come together for the worse? They don't have your best interest at mind. They don't want to serve you. They aren't looking to help you. There are those that would come together in the fellowship of believers, not for the better, but for the worse. That's sad. People coming together with messed up motives. People coming to churches like ours to pray. Not P-R-A-Y, but P-R-E-Y. That's what Jesus said. You don't even need to worry about it. The wolves will come to you, he said, in sheep's clothing. Here the church in Corinth is dealing with a group of people that are coming together not for the better, but for the worse. It still happens today. One of the responsibilities of pastors and leaders is to assure an environment where we're coming together for the better where we're helping everyone keep their eyes on the Lord, where our eyes are always scanning to make sure there aren't any wolves sneaking in here because wolves love to come to churches. The devil loves to hang out in the pews, loves to come to fellowship gatherings to do great damage. A shepherd's always on the lookout as he's caring for the sheep. He's always on the lookout for the wolves. What nice things you have, Grandma. <laughs> Sometimes leaders get a bad rap for that. Where we might find and say, hey, I don't understand what's going on here. And, and even, in the, the, even in asking the question, you get in trouble. Don't be surprised if questions are asked. If questions aren't asked, then nothing could be clarified. Hey, what is this? I see you over here. I remember not too long ago when Andy was still here. Remember Andy was leading worship with us and, and he had just come on as an intern and, and I was there with him and I noticed that there was a group of his flock. He was overseeing refuge at the time when his brother went to Russia and he was overseeing our young adults and I, I just noticed over the course of a few weeks that there were groups of his flock gathering around a person. It was just, just noticeable. And I would take him along and I said, Andy, do you see anything? And he said, yeah, I see. And I, I want you to keep an eye on that. And after we kept an eye on that for a couple of weeks, I said, okay, now it hasn't changed and you need to go talk to that guy Why he's gathering a group. And he went over to talk to him and the guy that was gathering a group didn't really understand what was going on as he was drawing people to himself. And Andy was able, he was there as an intern, as a leader that was being raised. He was there to say, hey, look, this isn't good. Be careful. 
And he was able to step in the middle of that situation, even though the response wasn't all that positive. Like, whoa, wait a minute, I could sit and talk to whoever I want. We're not saying you can't sit and talk to whoever you want. It just looks weird, man. It seems like it's the same group. It seems like you're having, after Pastor Ed has a Bible study, it seems like you're having a Bible study. After Ed's having a Bible, it seems like you're trying to undo everything that he's saying. That's weird, man. Why are you doing that? And it's good for leaders to get involved in a loving way to clarify what's going on, to guard and protect the sheep. It's biblical. It's spiritual. Turn over to Jude. Would you, right before Revelation, that's to the right. Jude only has one chapter. Jude. Still happens today. Hopefully we as the people of God can help those folks with underlying agendas when they come into fellowship that we can stand in the gap, keeping people's eyes on the Lord. Notice verse 10 of Jude. It says, but these speak evil of whatever they do not know. And whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. Verse 11. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the era of Balaam for profit, perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are spots in your, what does your Bible say? Love feasts, the agape feasts. These types of people he's describing are spots in your love feast, the same kind of love feast that we're looking at in the church in Corinth. While they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves, their clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit. Twice dead. That's a heavy one. Pulled up by the roots. Raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame. Wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now, I think Jude took it pretty seriously, don't you? He describes this group in your love feast, and they're, they're woe to them. Watch out for them. That's what's going on here in Corinth. Verse 18 now, back in chapter 11. When you're coming together, it's not for the better. Spiritual leaders are there to keep things on task for the better. Verse 18, here are the problems that started. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. Problem number one in the church surrounding communion was there were divisions. We've already seen that in chapter one. Big problem in the church in Corinth. Instead of coming together, they were tearing each other apart, pulling each other away. There were those that just loved to divide. And let me just warn you, church, listen carefully, please. Those that love to divide are infectious. It's very simple, usually. It's very, it sounds very innocent to begin with. You're coming in, you're worshiping the Lord, your hands are in the air, you're loving everything. Somebody comes up to you, instead of wanting to edify you, they may say something, did you hear about? Of course, you have a choice at that point, right? Your flesh says, in your mind, this might be all head in your, no, I haven't heard, I really do want to hear. And this all happened in milliseconds, or... I don't want to know anything about it. I didn't hear about it. I don't care. So as your mind is, is processing it, how you respond is going to be very, very important. Did you hear? And if you respond, no, I didn't hear. Tell me. Boom. You just exposed yourself to some sort of division. It's usually not. I mean, if it was something good, you probably already heard it, right? 
usually bad things start with, did you hear? Did you know? Have you heard? They're all kind of the same thing. And here you are wanting to worship the Lord and someone that's come in our midst that hasn't come here for the better, but for the worse, have set you on edge and divided you from your brother. You're listening to a study in 1 Corinthians from Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. You can hear this again online at calvaryco.church or through our app. And you can simply search for Calvary Aurora to download that app today. The message is called Communion with Jesus. Pastor Ed, in today's study, you touched on something I'd like for you to elaborate on, and that is the importance of coming together as a church. As you know, there are some who seem to think that's not for them. They don't attend church, and they have their reasons. But what are they missing out on? Larry, that's a great question. It's something that we really need to remember that God has invented the church for us. It's not an invention of man. He invented the church family for the benefit of the family. Now, it's true, we're not a perfect family, and and some of the people that have reasons of not coming to a gathering are actually some good reasons. And if you're listening to me right now, and, and that's you, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you've been hurt in a church. I'm sorry that you've been taken advantage of. I'm sorry that you've been manipulated or hurt in any way within the church family. But but listen, it's not God's will for you to stay away. It's God's will for you to live in community. That's the big word. That's the buzzword today, community. Um, but it's a good word. Even if even though it is popular right now, that's a good word. Everybody defines that differently, but God defines it by coming together with other believers. It's a longing of every true Christian is to be hanging out with other Christians, talking about the one that we love together. So what do we miss out on? We miss out on singing corporately. We miss out on praying corporately. We miss out on taking communion together. We miss out on singing together. Uh, we miss out on studying the Bible together. We miss out on checking in, looking at each other one eye to eye. We miss out on the atmosphere of the Spirit of God among His people. You can feel it. It's palpable. We miss out on the opportunity to serve others. We miss out on the opportunity to present ourselves that our gifts and talents might be used. We miss out on not only hearing a Bible study, but hearing it in the atmosphere of the local family. We miss out on being... Uh, rubbed the wrong way uh, and having to deal with that. We miss out on being hurt at times and having to run to the Lord with our pain. Um, I mean, I could go on and on, but God created the church and he told us not to neglect the gathering together. And so it's a simple obedience. And I know there are times when we can't, the housebound, the, the hospital bound, maybe in a convalescent home, maybe you're sick and you're watching online or listening on the radio, but Christian radio are only like taking vitamins. You can't live on vitamins. They're only supplements. You you need a good, strong, healthy diet of the church, not just Bible teaching, but of the church and all the dynamics of interacting with others. It's not just for our benefit. It's for the benefit of others. It's not just so that we'll be pleased, but so that others will be ministered to by us. And there's so much more we could go through, but get to church. I know you have your reasons, but come on back. You're welcome home and you can come back. God wants to connect with you and connect you with other believers. So come on back and let's work things out and let's get our eyes back on the Lord together. 
Amen. And friend, if you live close by, we'd love to have you join us at Calvary Church, Colorado. We offer a Saturday evening service at 6 and two Sunday morning services as well at 845 and 1045. Join us Wednesdays at 7 p.m. too. Visit us online for more information at calvaryco.church. Each month, Pastor Ed picks out a book that he believes can really help you grow in grace and be the person God wants you to be. Our pick of the month is Holy Sexuality and the Gospel by Christopher Yuan. Christopher was an agnostic gay man before God got a hold of his life, but now he puts his identity in Jesus alone, and in this book shares a gospel-centered discussion of sex, desire, and relationships. We'll send you a copy with our thanks for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. And your gift, whatever the size, would not only be greatly appreciated, but put to good use. You'll be helping people all across the country learn about and grow by God's abounding grace. Reach us toll free at 877-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryco.church. We'll return to 1 Corinthians next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. May God richly bless you with His abounding grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora.